Hey, we're the Clifton family living just a few miles south of Washington, D.C. in the suburbs of Northern Virginia. And my name's Clint. I work for a nonprofit and Jennifer is a homeschooling mom and a small business owner. One year ago, our family of six became a family of seven when we welcomed our 13-year-old Haitian-born daughter, Bebe, home for the first time. Our family and friends celebrated her arrival just as a global pandemic brought our busy lives to a screeching halt. And now, one year later, as the world starts to emerge from the shadows of the coronavirus, our family wants to share with you the exhilarating, frustrating, painstaking, crazy-making, hard and happy story of bringing home Bebe. What am I supposed to say when the words in my throat are as dry as my pen doing paperwork but for what it's worth by the time that you're home you'll be full grown think you should know what we do we do together but together means you're gone wish we had more than just your food Together, Jennifer and I have four incredible biological kids, Noah, Ruthie, Isaiah, and Moses. Just one year ago, the night before I left to pick up Bebe from the only home she's ever known and bring her into our home, I sat down with each of the kids and with Jennifer to check in about how they're feeling. Hi, my name's Noah. I'm a 19-year-old college freshman. Okay, so today's the eve of bringing home Bettina. I don't even know how. What you thinking? How you feeling? I'm excited. Okay. It's about time. <laughs> yeah. Last time you saw Bettina was? A long time ago. I was like 11. So I'm going to go pick her up tomorrow. Uh, what do you uh, imagine she's thinking tonight? Or Does she even know she's cool? Yeah, she knows. Well, then she's probably, hopefully, excited. Also yeah. probably a little sad she's leaving everybody. Yeah. I think everybody thinks that orphans are miserable all the time and can't wait to get home with a family. That's not actually the case. Mm-hmm. That's all. All she ever knows is what we're going to take her away from. So it's going to be a little bit hard for her, too. Yeah. But hopefully she's excited. Yeah. So uh, she seems excited, so that will probably make it a little easier. Yeah. Yeah, how do you think Ruthie's going to do with having somebody in her room? Uh, it'll take some getting used to. Mm-hmm. It'll be funny for the rest of us, though. <laughs> She's not concerned about it. No. She's got a lot. She in. won't be until there's somebody actually in there. We were, uh, Isaiah and I were taking bets on how long do you think it will take Bettina to ask for a phone. I, I think it's going to be in the first two weeks. Oh, probably. It well, might not be that much. So, part of your decision not to go off to college right away had to do with the fact that Virginia was going to be coming home. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're 18. It's like the, you're going to graduate this year. Hopefully. If corona doesn't end it. Yeah, if Corona doesn't end it all. So, why, um, you know, explain that decision to me? Well, I mean, I have such a good relationship with the other three. If I were to leave, I wouldn't have time to develop a good relationship like I have with the other three with her mm-hmm. so but if I'm home more then I have more time to do that mm-hmm. do you feel like you're postponing your life no yeah that's good glad you don't feel that way to describe the culture of our family fast paced fast paced I think we're fast paced not during the coronavirus we're not well nobody is <laughs> but normally we're fast paced active uh we can be loud and fun who's the loudest member of our family ruthie yeah and did you hear ruthie uh knocked over the table in her room no (laughs) yeah she did she totally almost broke it 
Okay, well, I need a name for this uh, podcast that we're going to have with about our family adopting. What do you think I should call it? <laughs> uh, bringing home baby, baby's home. That's what normally what we say. Yeah. We say baby's home. Or baby's coming home. You know, there used to be this show, uh, or it was a toy or something, I don't know, called Bebe Kids. Mm-hmm. And their slogan was, we don't die, we multiply. <laughs> That's not applicable to this situation, though. Not really, but it's still funny. So, bringing home Bebe. Or Bebe's home, something like that. Bebe's home. Because most of it will be when she's already home. Okay. Anything else you want to say? Uh, no. It's likely to go viral. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, subscribe to Chime and Pew Music. <laughs> okay. It's going viral. Gotta, gotta bring up the people with me. It takes a village. Hi, I'm Ruthie. I'm a junior in high school. I just want to ask you a question. Mm, okay. It's so weird. You just... Tipped over my whole entire table, spit, <laughs> spilt oil and water all over my floor. I came, I came in here to talk table. to you about something serious. Are you gonna rain on my parade? Go ahead. Why were you talking to me? Just me and you, not this recording. Because it's a conversation I want to remember. Mm, okay. It's the eve of the day that I'm going to get Bacina. Woo! Yeah. Well, I'm, we've been doing this for like almost your whole life. We've been adopting longer than we've not been adopting in your life. That's true. Well, you shouldn't crack your knuckles. It's bad for you. Bad for your audio. <laughs> <laughs> bad for the podcast. <laughs> no, it's good for the podcast. It's good tape. But um, it's bad for your uh, joints. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this room is going to have two teenagers in it. It's not really big enough for two teenagers, mm-hmm. especially one is fills up a room as much as you do. So I just want to know how you're feeling. Can you give me like one honest word about how you're feeling? Excited. Excited, really. I like that. I'm feeling a little nervous, to be honest. Mm. I'm gonna say her awkwardly now. Okay. Who are you Snapchatting? Um, Zach, David, and Andrew. Those are all boys. Yes. Why don't you Snapchat some girls? I don't want to talk to them. I know. That's the real problem. You need to connect emotionally with other women. Mm, I don't like girls. (laughs) That's a problem because one's moving into your room. Well, I'll like her. You'll like her? Okay. When's the last time you saw Vegina? Um, when I was 10. When you were 10. And how old are you now? 15. So if my math is correct, that was five years ago. It was June of 2014. Uh Uh-huh. And it's March of 2020. Wow. Yeah. A long time ago. Mm-hmm. I saw a picture of you when you were down there. I know, I was fat. <laughs> you weren't fat. Yes, I was. No, you were like little girl, little girl shaped. Mm-hmm. Most little girls are shaped smaller than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you had like cute curly hair. That was good. Are you going to, I know how much of a daddy's girl you are. You're, like, all, like, cuddly with me all the time. (laughs) So are you going to be jealous if Bettina's a daddy's girl, too? No. No? Do you think it's possible that people will think I'm trafficking her since I'm a white man? Um, possibly, yeah. And I'm traveling during the coronavirus ban? Mmm. Probably, yeah. I'll be like, no, trust me, I'm her dad. I'm good. I might go to jail. Mm-hmm. What do you think the f- hardest part of this is going to be for, for Bichina? 
probably the first part, like, getting to know everyone because she won't be comfortable with everyone first, so she'll probably feel lonely. Yeah. Sue mentioned that she has good friends she's going to miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Well, here we go. She's 13 years old. Instant family. I love you. I love you. Say it more meaningfully so I have some tape of you like saying it like you mean it. I love you too. <laughs> That's not really the kind of meaningful I was meaning. It's one you wanted though. It's one you needed. <laughs> Can you tell me what the culture of our family's like for the listener? Like describe the culture of our family and how she's gonna have to yeah, describe it. Would you say we're close? Yes. Would you say we're intense? No. No. Would you say we're relaxed? Yeah. Would you say we're vulnerable? To an extent. Who's the most vulnerable person in our family? You. <laughs> Obviously. Is that good or bad? Mm go both ways do you wish I were a little less vulnerable mm-hmm. when your friends come over I often interrogate them mm-hmm. I ask them questions that make things uncomfortable do you hate it when I do that no do you like it mm-hmm. when we're not around like the, us the parents and you guys are talking about me what kind of things do people say we don't talk about you. Yeah, you do. I know you do. I know Michael talks about me. Michael, no, he doesn't. Yeah, what's, he, what's he say? What's Michael say? I want to know right now. Mm-mm, he doesn't say anything. Hmm. He says it would be awkward if you got tacos. <laughs> I did. Okay. Well, now you got a lot of Snapchatting to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to leave you with it. Okay. You're probably about to start your quiet time, too, so. Mm-hmm. All right. That's what I was doing before you turned my light on and knocked over my table <laughs> and caused a Maybe we should knock over the table again just so I could have the sound effect mm-hmm. <laughs> for the podcast. Mm, for the podcast. Do yeah. it for the podcast. You got to do it for the podcast. Of course. Sometimes you have, oh, tonight you made a video with me and you spit in my face. I did. Most daughters couldn't spin their face and have no repercussions. I know. That's what everyone said. <laughs> They'd be like, my dad would go crazy. <laughs> That's what people said about the Casey video. Griffith said, my dad would have had a cow if I did that. I said, I know. I met your dad. <laughs> oh, man. Well. But it was funny. We did it for the vlog. Got You got to do it for the podcast. I got to do it for the vlog. That's right. This is going to be a podcast about bringing Bicina home. Mm. I was thinking about calling it Bringing Home Bebe. Mm. What do you think about that name? It's a good name. Really? Yeah. Are you lying or are you just saying that so you want me to get out of here? I'm telling one. On a scale of one to true. ten, how much do you want me to leave your room right now? How much do you want me to want you to leave? Oh, I don't want. I was a zero. Zero. That's what you want? It's the same? That's what you want me to want. Sweet. I'll, can I spend the night in here? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, sorry. I was thinking about leaving the recorder running so that when I was snoring tonight, I could get some audio of me snoring. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You know, there's, there's an app for that. It, it records every time you make a noise when you're sleeping. Yeah? Yep. What's it called? I don't know. Noisemaker Pro XD. <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong? <laughs> I don't know. All right. <sighs> All right. Well, this is the this is it. This is the end of our family as we know it. It's a whole, it's a whole new thing from here on out. Mm-hmm. We'll be like, remember that last night we spent together. no one i i bet you money no one will ever say that yeah yeah well the people that listen to this podcast will be like oh remember that time no they won't no one will think that Mm. all right well it feels big it feels big to me does this feel big to you not yet i mean it's like 
every single day for almost 10 years. We've talked about this, prayed, done some paperwork. It's true. guess it's not that big a deal. It is a big deal. Feels like a huge deal. Mm, doesn't feel like it yet. It mm. will, but not yet. All right. All right. Let's try the I love you again. Okay, I love you, bro. That was <laughs> <laughs> You were about to say. You were about to say that was good. Yeah, mom just got onto you. <laughs> I know. Sometimes she, when she thinks about you, she just goes, oh my gosh, she's so loud. That's what she thinks every time she thinks about me. <laughs> All right. Well, I think you're the perfect volume. Thank you. <laughs> All right. All right. Peace out, Girl Scout. My name's Isaiah. I'm a sophomore. I'm recording. Recording? Our conversation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is that weird? <laughs> um, I'm recording because it's the <laughs> it's the eve of uh, going to get Bettina to bring her home, and um, feels like an important night. I want to capture, want to kind of capture. You know how like right before the big game, they go up to everybody and they're like, "How you feeling?" <laughs> so this is the "How you feeling?" before the big game. So Isaiah, how you feeling? Um, I mean, it's exciting, but I don't know. I don't think it'll really, like, set in until you guys are, like, either on the way or she's finally here. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've been excited all this time, and then the closer we get to it, the more nervous I get. I don't know why. But this is, like, the end of an era, you know, because our family will not ever be six again. Kind of crazy. Uh, one sister in this family has been quite a lot to handle. I wonder if two will be. Well, hopefully, Bettina's not like Lucy. <laughs> what do you mean by that? You know. She's less. You hope Bettina's less extra than Ruthie? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. So you are the closest in age to Bettina. Yeah. Do you think she's an introvert or an extrovert? Mm, I would guess extrovert. Extrovert? Uh-huh. Yeah, maybe. She's kind of quiet, though. Yeah. Or at least she seems that way. Yeah, she'll probably be, like, pretty introverted, like, when she gets here. Yeah. But the more she gets used to it, I think. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking about was... Um, you know, like, you guys all have phones and technology, and she doesn't have any of that stuff. How long do you think it's going to take her to ask for a phone? Mm. I think we should make bets on how long it's going to ask take her to ask for a phone. And I don't she, know. She might, like, after a while. I bet you it'll be in the first two weeks. Really? I think so. And then she's going to be here for, like, eight weeks before she gets to go to church because of the coronavirus. Yeah. That's going to be strange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And people like the Chapmans and people like them will probably want to come meet her. Probably. Probably. And the Garmans. Yeah. All right, well, okay. Any, uh, what do you think, um, I asked Ruthie this question, she didn't really know what to say. Like, what is the culture of our family like? Like, if you were describing it to somebody, what would you describe the culture of our family like? I don't know. I mean, we're really a mix of all of them. Mm. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's, like, one that could describe us. Yeah. I think you just defined culture. That's kind of what a culture is. It's, like, different ratios of how important different things are. That's good. Uh, Okay, well... She's going to come home, and uh, we're going to have a sister. Um, do you think she's going to notice that she's the only one without a biblical name? 
I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of hard not to notice, probably. We'll be like, uh, and she'll, mom. She'll probably notice it, but not say anything about it. Uh, mom's great grandma. Uh, she uh, used to tell us about all of her ducks that she had. Ducks. Yeah, she had ducks, like pet ducks, and her um, her name was uh, Nana, and she would tell us about all of her ducks, and they were like. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and she went through like all these names of these ducks, and then she was like, and Murdoch. <laughs> and I always thought that was so funny that she had a bunch of ducks named uh, after Old Testament prophets, and then she had Murdoch. Maybe that's how our family will look now. <laughs> that could be her nickname, Murdoch. Murdoch, we call her Murdoch. Yeah, it's a. It's, yeah, it's hard to know what to call her because uh, she doesn't really have like a natural nickname. Mm-hmm. Bettina. It's kind of close to Beth. I mean, that's what we called her. We did call her that. And then her nickname used to be, like in the orphanage, they called her Bebe. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking of calling the podcast Bringing Home Bebe. <laughs> what do you think about that? It's a good name. I'm going to do a podcast. Over first couple, of, I don't know, days, years, months. Depends on how popular it is. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, that's boring. Talking to your kids late at night in bed. So I'm going to be alone with her for a couple of days while I'm getting her situated to come back. So how's that going to be? All right, well, this has been real. Thanks for participating. Okay. Hello, my name is Moses, and I am in sixth grade. Hey, so it's 11 o'clock the night before I leave to go get Bettina. And if Mm -hmm. Mom knew I was in here waking you up to talk to you on this, I'd be in trouble. Mm -hmm. Probably. How are you feeling about Bettina coming home? Excited. Excited? But, That's the same thing Ruthie said. Yeah, but like, I don't know how I'm going to, like, see, it's been a long time since I saw her last. No, you were like, like a little guy. Mm-hmm. I remember when I fell off that tree. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I remember that too. I ran across the hole. Mm-hmm. Compound to get you. Um. All right. So you're feeling excited about it? Are mm-hmm. you nervous at all? Mm-hmm. A little bit. Kinda. I'm kind of nervous too. Uh, we've been your whole life. We've been talking about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, okay. Well. I'm gonna go tomorrow, get on an airplane, mm-hmm. go pick her up. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right, anything else you wanna say about that? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Um, I need a name for the podcast. What do you think I should call it? Bettina coming home. I was thinking about calling it Bringing Home Baby. <laughs> you good with that? Okay. What's your, uh, you know, she's coming home during the coronavirus mm-hmm. pandemic, which is a weird time to bring a child home from another mm-hmm. country. And, well, after the whole adoption, kind of fits since the whole adoption is crazy. This, what you're saying is this whole adoption has been messed up. Yes. And we've been talking about this whole time. One of the things I thought was funny is we've been talking about this whole time, the fact that she's never been to a restaurant. She's mm-hmm. 13. Mm-hmm. And she's never, like, been to it's our... It's going to be really crazy for her. Yeah, and she's still not going to get to a restaurant because all the restaurants are closed now. That's true. We'll uh, take her through a drive through Yeah, that's true. She'll get Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, yeah. All right, well, I love you. I love you, too. Okay. Gotta go to sleep now. Don't tell mom I came in here.
Laying in bed our last night as a family of six, really unsure of what would happen as I prepared to board an international flight in the midst of a global air travel shutdown and border closures all around the world, I switched on the recorder to see how Jennifer was feeling. Jennifer, tomorrow we're going to pick up. We aren't going anywhere. Oh, I'm going to pick up Bettina from Haiti. How are you feeling? Currently? Yeah. I'm sleepy, kind of ready for bed. Yeah. Our 18-year-old's watching Scooby-Doo right now. I know. Nothing better than Scooby-Doo. So, when we started this whole thing, it was July 2011. And today it is March 2020. Uh, it's 2011, correct? Yes, definitely. Okay. Um, that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Been through many ups and downs, and we're on the eve. This is the eve of Gotcha Day. Is Gotcha the day the day you leave to pick them up, or the day you leave and bring them home? It's the day you got them. I say, it's the day you got them. We're going to need to look that up. Well, that's, it's, we decide. We're in charge. That's not true. Yes, it's our podcast. We get to, (laughs) we get to say whatever we want. Uh, yeah. So right now, currently, um, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Mm. The coronavirus pandemic. And, uh. There's some danger involved in that. I could get sick. You could get sick here, uh, I could get quarantined. I could get stuck in Haiti. That's true. There's also a lot of violence and kidnapping going on in Haiti. Are you concerned about me being kidnapped? Not really. I think they'd get more than they bargained for if they kidnapped <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah. I'm... Oh, because this is what's going to happen. You're going to get there Thursday morning, go straight to the embassy. Mm-hmm. You're going to get the paperwork. Marguerite's going to say, I was able to get the exit letter. Mm-hmm. And they're going to bring Bacina, and you're just going to turn around and fly yeah. right back. And Marguerite's the lady who uh, has The Haitian been, agency lady. Yeah, she's been doing our groundwork for us. Yeah. All right. So tomorrow's the day. 5.45 p.m. I get on a flight. All right. You're really just flying to Miami tomorrow. Yeah, I know, but... Really, the big deal is Thursday morning. Thursday morning. But that's also at, like, 5 in the morning. Yeah. That alarm, you better not sleep through. I won't. I might not sleep at all. The story of our adoption started more than 30 years ago in Palatka, Florida, a small town where Jennifer and I grew up. There was a family in our hometown that I had so much respect for growing up. Miss Barbara Campbell's home always seemed open to everyone. There was no such thing as too many kids in the house. They had 10 kids, and to this day, I could not tell you which ones were adopted and which ones were biological. Their family made a big impact on me, and somehow... Without even noticing, I quietly made their family dynamics a goal for my own family to achieve. They made an impression on me, and even as a young girl, I began to have a desire one day to adopt kids in need and to make a safe and happy home that was always full. That desire stayed with me through school, college, the first decade of marriage, and the birth of our four kids. It was never too far from my heart and mind. 
Jen, do you think the Campbells had any idea the kind of impression they made on you? I'm sure not. That desire stayed with me through school, college, the first decade of marriage, and the birth of our four kids. It was never too far from my heart and mind. Uh, so, Tim, that's my wife uh, talking about your family, and we've never met, and you probably haven't talked to Jennifer in years and years and years and years. It's been several years. Yeah. How's that hit you when you hear that? Uh, first of all, I, I guess it's just a little emotional with recent passing of mom, um, yeah. and it's been in the past year that I've had several of those folks that have come to me and talked about how my uh, mother was such an inspiration to so many and uh, I don't know man that's just cool is what I'm gonna say yeah uh, of course Jennifer meant something to our family uh, her family and my family um, grew up in the same neighborhood the same kind of thing we we uh, went to separate churches but did a lot of church stuff together is what I'm gonna say we did summer camps and and stuff like that so um it's just amazing to see that, you know, my mom's legacy kind of lives on. Like my parents were on like the special call list, like, hey, we just shut down a home for really bad circumstances. Can you take them in for whatever period of time? My parents were like, bring them in. Wow. So uh, really special people. Um, it really is kind of cool just to hear people like Jennifer just tell their story and include my family in that. Yeah. And I would say her family is just as special to me in much the same way that she probably doesn't even know that you know her dad inspired me in so many ways and, and taught me things and really uh helped me be a funner guy i know that's kind of a weird thing to say but <laughs> but her dad really taught me how to make some things fun and that's uh, it's pretty neat how that goes and you never know who's whose family's touching who and you know who makes a difference yeah he he, he really is special both of them are um so uh, you, uh, I grew up in Palatka too, but I, I didn't really know your family. I don't re recall ever interacting with you. I didn't know you grew up in Palatka. Yeah, I did. I did. Um, I thought I knew everybody. Uh, you, yes. Uh, you know, you guys were doing that. It, it's now kind of common to hear of families really committed to adoption, but I don't remember ever knowing of a family like that growing up, especially in our context. So the fact that Jennifer remembers you like that and it made such an impact on her seems a little bit odd to me because I can't imagine anybody in our town sort of taking that, that posture or position. Did you guys realize as you were growing up that you were in the midst of something unique and special? Absolutely not. It was just life to us. No. I don't know any, I don't know life any differently. So right. you don't know what you don't know. And that's just life to you. And I thought life was, you were supposed to have a bunch of people around. And to this day, I love having people around and, yeah. you know, and that's just part of who I am and it's built into, uh, you know, the way my mom and dad raised us. Yeah. Now it sounds like just, just as a bystander looking in and hearing about this situation, it sounds like your mom was kind of the engine uh for this passion uh how, what was your dad's posture toward it so my dad was the uh he needed to make money to yeah. support all these kids <laughs> and, and so dad worked hard uh he worked in a power plant um he worked with fpnl when we were down in south florida and moved up here with Seminole electric um you know mom never had to work uh dad just took care of us like i said we we weren't rich but dad made good enough money but when you have 10 kids 12 kids 15 kids um you know i got a a, a young man working for me now like i said i manage a uh manage a, a large farm and have lots of employees and i got a young man that works for me right now that was one of my friends when we were kids and he lived literally lived at my home when yeah. we were kids uh and there's many people that i could tell you about that just lived at our house they weren't foster kids they weren't somebody they weren't our kids they they weren't adopted they were just somebody else's kids they also lived at our house because of whatever family situation they were in so yeah. we don't even count them in the numbers right. yeah that kind of that kind of way of living is magnetic though like people yes want to be around it and something about watching your family when my wife was growing up made her like embrace that ethos and kind of quietly not in a way where she you know made it public or published it but 
made her quietly resolve that that's what kind of home she wanted and and those uh, characteristics are reflected in our home today so um, I'm just thankful to you. Don't don't know you, but I'm thankful to your mom and and to you for your. That's special. That's very special. Well, I'm thankful for Jennifer even saying those words about my mother and um, our family, and I think that that is super cool. Like I said, after her death, I've been able to hear more of that than I did before. But of course, I knew people looked up to her, and um, she had written, written a book that kind of included all her kids, wow. and uh, and she kind of wrote a chapter about each child and how how they. How they came into our life and one of those kids came into our life through jennifer's family i don't know if you knew that but yeah i did know that i didn't know that, it was that was something that we talked about but yes i knew it <laughs> really really yeah I, and we're open about where they come from and how we got them and and that was a really really special time and you know uh, that's one of my two sisters and uh you know just the my sisters are super special to me and uh, yeah, that's that was a cool event, and can't can't think about her without thinking about um, Jennifer and her family and how yeah. that came to me. Wow, uh, man, so cool! Thank you for sharing with us uh, about this. And um, is that book available anywhere? Uh, I believe it's still available on Amazon. I, I have the sticky on my computer because it reminds me of my mother. Um, yeah, that's the, uh, the cover. cover of the book. Yeah. It's just. It's called Barbara Ann. Okay. I'll, I'm, I'm going to look for it. And if I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes for the podcast. She would go around to churches and kind of tell her story because it was a really special story. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Okay, uh, Tim, thanks. Have a great day. Periodically, Jennifer would mention to me that she still had a desire to adopt from Haiti someday. I remember standing in the kitchen after Moses was born and hearing Jennifer again express a desire to adopt from Haiti. I remember thinking, you've been talking about this your whole life. It's time to do something about it. Immediately, I called one of our high school teachers. She was our gym teacher growing up. Her name's Jenny Cowart because she was the only person I knew who had actually adopted from Haiti. We got on the phone with Jenny in early 2011, and she told us the story of her daughter Hope's adoption. Jenny connected us to a woman named Sue Witt, an American who ran a small children's home in Port-au-Prince where Jenny had adopted Hope. Sue invited us to visit Haiti on our very first phone call with her, and within a few weeks we had boarded the short flight to Haiti and nestled in for a few nights in Sue's partially dilapidated orphanage. Sue didn't just want us to visit, she had two particular children in mind that she wanted us to adopt. Bettina, who was four at the time, and John, Bettina's cousin, who was two. She was very matter-of-fact about it. There were 40 kids living in Sue's house at the time, and it seemed really strange to me that she paired us up so immediately with Bettina and John. But in hindsight, I'm so glad she did. The kids were so beautiful and sweet, all of them. It would have been awful to have to choose. But Sue just took that option away from us and said, these two are for you. It was funny, in my mind, this was an exploratory trip. I wasn't even sure if God was calling us to do this, but she was really hard to contend with. She just paired us up with Bebe and John, and that was it. stands out to you about that first trip to Haiti? I was surprised at how wrecked the country was from the earthquake. I mean, when we went in July of 2011, it was a year and a half after the devastating earthquake that had flattened the country. And it looked to me like the earthquake had just happened. I went with American eyes. I assumed that the country would have made significant progress to rebuild in all that time, but no. I'll never forget driving in front of the presidential residence in Port-au-Prince and seeing it laying in rubble and just thinking, man, if that was the White House, that would have been rebuilt in a matter of months. How about you? What do you remember? The kids. 
They were all so cute, sweet, happy, in the midst of so much trauma and devastation. After meeting Bebe and John, how did you feel about Sue's matchmaking? Honestly, I think if she had left the decision to us, we would have chosen the two of them. John is fun, rambunctious, sweet and cuddly. Bacina is gorgeous, even as a little kid. We were drawn to the two of them right from the start. Yeah, I agree. I was immediately drawn to the two of them. I remember the first night, Sue had set us up to sleep on a bed in the very center of a big room. The same room that all the kids were sleeping in. There were like five or six sets of bunk beds around the perimeter of the room and two or three kids on each of the bunk beds. I remember lying awake with sleeping kids in surround sound all around me and thinking every reason I can come up with right now not to take some of these kids home with me feels like a selfish excuse. For me, the decision to adopt happened that very first night as we slept in that bed. I suspected that any questions you had about adopting would be solved by our visit. And you were right. After that night, I was all in. The situation at Sue's house was good on one level. The kids were cared for, loved, they were safe, and had access to clean water and food. But in other ways, it was really sad. The house they were living in was surrounded by high walls topped with barbed wire, solid steel gates. But the earthquake had compromised the walls and some sections had fallen. Yeah, the house was really no bigger than an average three-bedroom house here in the U.S. And some of the rooms were structurally compromised so much that Sue wouldn't let the kids sleep in them. The kids were stuck inside the house and in the small courtyard in front of the house all the time. It was too dangerous to leave. Sue had some of her friends bring water and groceries, but even that was dangerous and expensive. We were really sad for the kids and wanted to do something fun for them. We asked Sue if there was something maybe we could do for the kids that would be fun. So we talked about it for a little bit and we settled on hiring a bus to come pick us up to take us to a nearby beach. Jennifer, do you remember that first beach trip? Worst idea we've ever had. (laughs) What I remember is that it was incredibly hot, probably over 100 degrees, and the kids were not used to being in a vehicle, and they all got motion sick on the way to the beach. Few of them started throwing up, and before long, the whole bus smelled like throw up, which of course made other kids throw up. I had kids sitting on my lap that were just like throwing up on the floor of the bus, and it was flowing down the center aisle. It was awful. Yeah, our intentions were good, but in hindsight, maybe that wasn't our brightest idea. Of course, we were headed to the beach, so everyone was able to wash off, and the ride home was a whole lot better. As our trip started winding down, we began to ask Miss Sue questions about the next steps, what to do. She told us that the process was long, complicated, and unstable, and guessed that it would take probably as long as two years, but assured us it could be done. She also told us that the cost would be around $30,000 to adopt both Bebe and John. At the time, I was in the midst of starting a new church, and we were living on a pretty meager salary, barely scraping by, so $30,000 seemed like a completely impossible amount of money for us. Yeah, we talked about taking a loan, but that didn't seem to be very faith-filled, so we decided to do what we could to raise the money and trust God for the outcome. As soon as we got home, we set up a website. It was twonewclifton's.com, and we scheduled a series of fundraising events that we thought might help us get started. We had a car wash and a basketball tournament. Yeah, you get the idea. The date for our first fundraiser was set, and it was just a few weeks after we returned from Haiti. We set up a big barbecue grill in the front of our church, started cooking barbecue chicken, while the kids and their friends waved car wash signs at the traffic passing by. We worked our butts off all day long. We washed dozens of cars and barbecued tons of chicken. Several times throughout the day, we ran out of chicken. We had to run to the grocery store to restock. It seemed like a huge success. And then that night, tired, dirty, hungry, we sat down at our kitchen table to count what we had raised. 
I'm not really sure what I was expecting, but our donations that night added up to about $800. And when you take out the cost of food and supplies, we'd really only netted about $500. I remember you and the kids were super optimistic and you were happy with that. But all I could think was that we were going to have to do this 59 more times to raise enough money to complete this adoption. Yeah, you were not good. You're always the motivated one in our family, trying to rev the rest of us up to get excited about ministry projects. But you were so disappointed. Then we started hearing from our friends who had bought the barbecue chicken that the chicken we served them was still raw and frozen in the center. Everyone was really good about it. Most of the people just threw it away and went about their day. After all, it was a fundraiser. But I was so frustrated with myself. In my mind, the whole event had been an utter failure. Here's Amanda Long, a friend from church who bought one of those fateful frozen birds. Hey, Amanda, I want to ask you about something, and I want your honest feedback. Do you remember that barbecue chicken dinner we did to raise money for our adoption? I do. I I have some very clear recollections from that day, that very hot day. It was a very hot day. Uh, can you can you describe to the folks that are listening uh, what what you remember from that day? Yeah, I just remember a few things. Um, at that point in time, our church was meeting at an old, I think, insurance building off of the main thoroughfare through our town of Dumfries, Virginia. And it was a summer day. It was hot. It's We were trying to have a picnic in a hot parking lot. So I remember that the atmosphere was not like, oh, great, let's have a family church picnic. It was kind of like it was hot. And I forget like what kind of seating there was, maybe some like makeshift picnic tables. But it was not like when you think church picnic, this was not it. Um, (laughs) Clint had gotten this huge barbecue grill like the kind you tow (laughs) and can still barbecue right but I don't know where he got it and I don't know where it came from but it was huge and it was hot (laughs) on the side of 234 um and it was just Clint and his family his family was holding up signs on the side of 234 to try and gather people to turn into our insurance building church parking lot and buy some chicken so, um, and I'm, it was just you at the grill. Like you were just determined. You were so determined. Um, it was, it was just a, almost a sight for sore eyes, but I was just so, I was just so impressed, um, on many levels of your commitment. And if, if you build it, they will come. If you- <laughs> go out there and put a barbecue grill and put some chicken on there. Someone's going to turn into the parking lot and buy some chicken. So we were a small church at that time. I do remember. And, um, and well, I guess we're still small for some people, but we had some church members come to support the adoption fundraiser. And we were just sitting there around the chicken. And, and, you know, I don't, at that point in time, I didn't think too much about what I was eating. I was just thankful to have a meal But I remember um, a lady in our church sitting next to me and just like biting into the chicken. And she just goes, I hate pink chicken. (laughs) Those were the words out of her mouth. I hate pink chicken. (laughs) Um, And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it is kind of pink. (laughs) I guess it is. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe this isn't maybe this isn't cooked. Maybe this is not meeting the code. of chicken that should be eaten by our bodies so I was I think that might have been my last bite I think that from then on that was just the end of that chicken yeah I remember the next day too standing around uh in the church at church and everybody was sort of laughing about the chicken (laughs) and I I was trying to keep a poker face you know I was like like, oh yeah so sorry you know but uh it was uh I was I really felt bad I was like I poisoned people (laughs) well did anyone get sick I don't even know I think that was I I, I don't know there's any evidence that anyone ate it (laughs) I had a couple of 
bites and I was happy to eat those bites. I was, I mean, at that point in time, it wasn't just adoption fundraisers that we were all in, right? We were just, we were all in. Whatever anybody was after, we were there for them. <laughs> and so we were happy to support that and, um, and thankful all these years later that we have Bettina home for sure. The chicken fiasco really took the wind out of our fundraising sales. We felt like we had completed one stage of a journey only to learn that the destination was much longer than we first believed. We had no idea how we'd come up with $10,000 needed to start the adoption process. We went to church the next morning and tried to join the lighthearted jeers of our friends and supporters as they stood in a circle telling frozen fowl tales from the previous day. I made it through the sermon, I shook hands, I locked up the building, and I headed home for lunch. You guessed it, leftover barbecue chicken. I pulled up to my house after church that day and I opened my phone, that was back in the days of flip phones to find a text message from an unknown number. Hey, my name's Dan. I'm a pastor of a small church in Ridgefield, Connecticut. I saw on Facebook that you and your family are hoping to adopt. We have some money we'd like to give you to help with the costs. Would you have a few minutes to talk to me on the phone today? You came in from talking to Dan on the back deck with tears streaming down your face. I was like, what is the matter? And you said... Some random person I've never met just called me to tell me his church is giving us $10,000 for our adoption. Here's Dan Keaton. My wife and I had been uh, kind of impacted personally about getting involved in orphan care. Um, we had gone through some training to become uh, foster care parents. We were doing sh short-term foster care for infants at that time. And um, we really started to just kind of develop a heart for for adoption and orphan care and we wanted to, to get our church involved and so we we had a group of people to had gotten together to kind of brainstorm what we could do and and we just decided what if we just like for four weeks like I'll, 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 I'll preach on adoption and theological implications of that our adoption in Christ and then what if we for just over a couple of weeks we just try to raise money with the, the sole purpose of giving whatever money we raise to a Christian family that's in the process of adopting a child. And so we did, we spent several weeks talking about it and, and preaching on it. And um, we, uh, we, I think we had the, the offering for like th three or four weeks and we were expecting to raise maybe two, three, four thousand $4,000. And I'm trying to remember the exact amount we raised, but it was like, it was like $50,000. Um, it was just incredible, tiny little church, 120 people or so. And I mean, people just kind of caught the vision and came out of the woodwork and, and gave, but the cool thing was we had a, a lady at church that worked for GE and GE at that time, at least had this policy where if any of their employees gave to, um, you know, a, a charity, GE would match it dollar for dollar. Wow. And so, um, you know, she gave and GE came out of the woodwork and, and had to match that. And so that's why we raised such a, a sizable donation. So, you know, now we're like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do with this money? And so we, we had this team of people that would kind of get together and like, you know, who are we going to give this to? Or, you know, how many families are we going to be able to give this to? Because it was much larger gift than we expected. And I think at that time, I had just thrown something out on Facebook about, like, hey, anybody adopting a, a child? Like, it's just something vague like that. And I didn't know you from Adam, but we have a mutual friend in, in Colby Garman. He and I were connected on Facebook, and he said you should check out uh, Clint Clifton and his wife. They're in the process of adopting. So I think we connected on the phone, and you just kind of told me the story, and, and um, I took that info back to our team, and we were like, man, this is a no-brainer. So... I got the uh, the privilege of calling you, I think, a couple of days later with some pretty cool news that we were going to be able to give you guys $10,000. And 
And uh, yeah, that was that was a super cool phone call. I got to make several of those phone calls. We ended up helping three other families with wow. the, the exact same gift. Um, but you guys were the first. And uh, yeah, it was that was a very, very cool moment for us. Well, it was a cool moment for me too. Uh, just we had um, I was so discouraged at that that time when we talked. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I just, I mean, again, thank you guys for, I mean, it's just so amazing to me how the Lord was at work, you know, kind of with you guys and doing something behind the scenes and how it would cause the path of that to cross right at the right time that we needed that. And then, you know, too, like the kind of the story we're trying to tell in the podcast or explain the podcast is that, you know, that was one hurdle or barrier or difficulty um, that seemed huge at the time and the, the Lord provided for. And then there was another nine years of those sorts of hurdles after that. It was, you know, what we got into thinking this will be sort of, you know, it'll be tough. We'll have to muscle through a couple of years. We'll have to raise a little bit of money. Ultimately, we ended up having to raise $60,000, only adopted one child and took nine years, as opposed to what we thought would be $30,000, two children in one or two years, you know. Um, so it was incredible to see the, I mean, that was the first of many blessings. And it's kind of like, well, if the Lord could do that, then he could, he could take us to the next over the next hurdle and it's really really uh encouraging to us yeah. that's been a cool story we've been following you guys the whole time and um just to finally get the the news that she was able to be with you guys and see those pictures that was uh that was a long time coming for you guys for sure but uh, a cool moment for us as well I was shocked and broken. Of course, God would meet our need, and of course he would do it after we tried to meet the need ourselves. We didn't know then, but that terrible barbecue dinner and that unexpected phone call was just the beginning of a ride that our family would be on for the next 10 years. This is the story of that ride. We've learned so much about God and about ourselves along the way that we just couldn't keep it to ourselves. Every barrier, every disappointment, every debt in we faced brought us closer together as a family and gave us the opportunity to seek God do what seemed impossible to us. So come along with us as we retell the exhilarating, frustrating, painstaking, crazy-making, hard, and happy story of Breaking Home Bebe. Home Bebe was produced by the Clifton family and edited by Nick Bastian from Crew Media in the beautiful city of Baltimore, Maryland. The original music in today's episode was written and recorded by Chapman Pugh. You can learn more about Chapman and his musical stylings by visiting his YouTube channel, easily accessed in the show notes. You might ask yourself the question, why did the Cliftons go to all this time and expense to make a podcast about their adoption? Well, we're glad you asked. We're doing this podcast for two reasons. First, because Miss Sue Witt, at over 80 years old, is still in Haiti, running her little children's home on a shoestring budget. And we wanted you to join us in helping to support her with a one-time donation or an ongoing gift. 
100% of the proceeds will go directly to purchase rice and chicken and diapers and clean water and supplies for the 40 children that are living with Grandma Sue. Even the smallest of gifts would go a long way. So we hope you'll consider giving. You can give by following the link in our show notes or by texting any dollar amount to 84321. That's 84321. The second reason we're doing this podcast is because we hope you might be inspired to play some role in caring for lonely and vulnerable children through adoption and foster care. Just as we were inspired by Barbara Campbell and her family, we hope that God might use this podcast to inspire you and open your heart and your home to a child in need. We hope you'll tune back in next Wednesday for the second installment of our five-part series, Bringing Home Baby. 